morning, guys. My name is Scott, um, and I just before we like actually get into the passage, I want to thank you guys so much for uh, allowing me and my wife to be here with you guys. Uh, as I was preparing for this message, it had been just a little bit over a year since we joined you guys, and y'all took me on the team to join in mission with you all. And so I am incredibly thankful that you guys would allow us this opportunity, but I'm also thankful that the Lord would to decide to show his grace to us and do such a great work in our hearts and the hearts of the church and also in the hearts of the people that he brings us to. Um, For example, last summer, Rob and I would go to Vasa Fitness and we would work out. Now clearly, as you look at me, I'm not a athletic specimen. I could not keep up with that. I was not disciplined enough to continually work out. But We did do that for a season. And during that season, uh, Rob and I met a man named Dee. Now at the time, the church was looking for some help with the worship team. And Dee, being a musician, ended up getting into contact with Kyle. And he helped us out with music for a little bit. But during that time, Dee and I were able to have some really good conversations. And we actually started hanging out pretty often. And from those conversations, the Lord revealed to Dee that life was not found in the pursuit of our career, in doing drugs and looking at whatever you want to on the internet, that life is found truly in surrendering your life to Jesus and trusting him with everything that you have. And from our conversations and the Lord revealing that to Dee, God used that realization to change Dee's heart completely, to give him the boldness to surrender his life to him and give his life over to Jesus Christ. And about a year ago, sitting on my porch, Dee gave his life to Jesus and is now walking with him completely. And if you were to ask Dee today, if, like, who were you a year ago? He would say that the man that Rob and I met at Vasa has died and that it is now Christ that lives in and through him. And as I think about that, And the many other things that the Lord has done, it brings my heart to joy and gladness, thinking like the Lord is using and working us here, which is in fact what the psalmist speaks about in Psalm 9 when he talks about remembering God's deeds and the results of that. He says in Psalm 9, 1 through 2, I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And so from this psalm, we see that remembering God's wonderful deeds reminds us of who God is. It reminds us that God is worthy of all exaltation and praise and that he is the most high. And through our passage this morning, which is Acts 14, verses 24 through 28. So I realize now I haven't told you what we're doing this morning. We're going over Acts 14, 24 through 28. So if you have a Bible or someone next to you does, go ahead and turn over to that passage. As I was studying this passage, the Lord convicted me of that truth, that it is joyful to remember all that God has done, and that in that remembrance of the Lord, God gives life to his people and empowers them as they tell others about what the Lord is doing and what he has done. This is why our sermon this morning is titled Spirit-Filled Remembrance. And as we look at this passage The truths of this passage, as we talk about spirit-filled remembrance, should give us a lot of joy in life. And truly, church, I want to invite you to join me as we pull the truths out of this small section of Scripture to allow the Spirit to convict our hearts and fill us with joy as we think about what happens when we remember what the Lord has done. Now, there are two things. It's a fair question. You're like, all right, spirit-filled remembrance. What are we remembering, Scott? 
there's two things that we're going to remember, not three. If you're remembering a third thing, you're probably thinking about what you had this morning or the arguments you had in your car or something along those lines. We don't want to remember a third thing. We're remembering two. The first thing that we are remembering is what the Lord did 2,000 years ago on the cross. You see, I'm not naive enough to think that this group of people in here, that there's probably someone in this room who has not given their life to Jesus. And so what happened 2,000 years ago is God, knowing that we cannot save ourselves by anything that we do, knowing that by the life that we live, we deserve destruction. You see, whenever you live your life your way and you do what you want to do, you say that God is not worthy of you giving your life to him. And when you say that the God of the universe, the creator of all existence, is not worthy of something, that is offensive to an infinite and holy God and deserves an infinite and holy punishment. That punishment being eternity, infinity, in hell. But God being loving and wanting to dwell with you and to be in relationship with you, chose to come on this earth as Jesus Christ, live that perfect life, take your punishment that you deserve on the cross, and died for your sins. And in resurrecting from the grave three days later, he proved that he was God and that if you put your faith and trust in him, he will save you for all of eternity. That his sacrifice took your place and he would give you life from that. And so the first thing that we are going to remember is the sacrifice that the Lord did on the cross. Which this sacrifice alone should move our entire hearts to worship him for eternity. But God is gracious enough and he knows us enough that he continues to work. You see, he doesn't just stop working after he died on the cross, church. 2,000 years ago when he died was not the last time that the Lord did anything. And truthfully, if you would listen to some of the conversations that I have and the words that come out of my mouth, you'd think that God has stopped working. That the only thing that I'm remembering that he does is what he did on the cross, which is, like I said earlier, worthy of all of our worship for eternity. But God has an ultimate purpose for the world. As David Platt, after studying the scriptures intently, says that the ultimate purpose of God is to bring from all nations to enjoy and exalt him in all of his glory. Bring people from all nations to enjoy and exalt him in all of his glory. That is God's purpose. Now, if that is God's purpose, then naturally, David Platt says, the ultimate purpose of every Christian and church is to enjoy and exalt God in all of his glory among all nations. You see, God is fulfilling this ultimate purpose to bring joy and exaltation to all people today. And so 2,000 years ago was not the last time he worked. In fact, he is still working to bring that exaltation of all people in all nations today, which means he is still working in 2021. That he is doing work, not just in our lives to bring own sanctification and our own sin struggle away from us, but he is working to exalt himself among all people and among all nations today. And remembering that and looking at how he is exalting himself then and now should bring us that same joy. And so it is my prayer, church, that this morning he refocuses my heart along with ours to be concerned with his glory and his glory alone by helping us remember all that he has done and all that he is actively doing. And so if you guys would pray with me real fast before we get into the passage. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy Lord, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us and for 
sending your spirit to dwell inside of us from that. Lord, I pray that this morning we would see the truths of your scripture and be encouraged, that our hearts would be stirred to zealous passion and worship of you for the rest of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified through what we speak about here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And so this morning, like I mentioned before, we're going over Acts 24, or I'm sorry, Acts 14, 24 through 28. And as is a custom at Northwest Baptist, in reverence of reading the scriptures, we stand as we read. So if y'all would stand with me as we read this passage together. Acts 14, 24 through 28 says, Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Y'all can be seated. And so if y'all have an astute eye, you'd notice that there is a lot of uses of pronouns in that passage. That it says, they did this and they did this. That should be an indication that Acts 14 is actually a passage in the middle of an epic story. You see, the book of Acts is like part two of the books that Luke wrote. See, Luke was a doctor or a physician at the time of Jesus' life, and he compiled a lot of resources together and wrote the Gospel of Luke. So there's four Gospels that tell the story of Jesus. is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then historians believe that kind of a volume two or a part two of Luke could be, have been in the same work was Acts. And so we see that he wrote Luke. This was the story of Jesus. And then he told uh, his audience, which, whose name was Theophilus, he told Theophilus who Jesus was, and then he told them what the result was for lives and people that live following Jesus. You see, something that I forgot to mention before is when you put your faith in Jesus, God sends his spirit to dwell inside of us and fill us. That's where we get the title spirit-filled remembrance. And that's where whenever we talk about people who are filled by God's spirit, we are talking about people who have surrendered their lives to Jesus. And so in Acts, Luke is talking about what happens when people are filled with the spirit. He talks about the direct results of lives that are filled with the Spirit and what the Lord does through them. And so, if you've been with our church for over a year, uh, you will know that we have been studying the book of Acts for quite some time. And we've actually taken a couple breaks. And for me, it was helpful to go back through Acts 1 all the way to 14 to us to see the overall narrative of Acts, but also to kind of get a better understanding of where we are in Acts 14. And so we're going to be quick summary of every chapter, like boom, 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 all the way up to Acts 14 to kind of get some background and some understanding of what this passage is talking about. And as we go over this background and this summary, I have a question for the church that I want you guys to chew on. Because this is the story of spirit-filled people. And the question that I want to ask you guys and want you to chew on is, do we desire to be used by God in this way? This passage, these passages are going to describe Christians who are filled by the Spirit. And the question we need to chew on is, do we desire to be used in this way? So let's get into this background. 
Acts 1, the beginning of Acts, Jesus has not left the earth yet, and his disciples are with him, and they ask him, when are you coming back? Like, is this the time that you were going to restore all things? Jesus essentially says, that's none of your business. And then in Acts 1-8, he says, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he says, you don't know the time or the season that I'm going to return, but I'm going to give you my spirit and you will receive power to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here we see one verse out of many that gives us a direct correlation between us receiving the Holy Spirit and God making us witnesses to what the Lord has done. You see, a witness is someone who tells someone else something that they don't know. Like if we watched a fight over there in the Welcome Center, I don't know, would never happen. But let's say someone does get into a fight in the Welcome Center and nobody in this room knew it. Someone would pop open those doors and be like, there's a fight and this is what happened. That person would be a witness of the fight, witnessing to us what has happened. And so Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit are witnesses to people who do not know about what the Lord has done on the cross and what the Lord is actually doing. And it is the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do it. So then for the rest of Acts, we see Christians filled with the Spirit being witnesses of what God has done and what he is doing. So check out Acts 2. Acts 2, the Holy Spirit actually fills the apostles and Peter gives a sermon. The first kind of sermon recorded in church history to thousands of people and 3,000 people from that message get saved. And then we see as a response, 3,000 people filled with the Spirit, the Spirit unites them in purpose and in fellowship. And we see this described in Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking the bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is key and very, very important. Because we see the church is supporting one another for the purpose of bringing people from all nations to enjoy and exalt God in all of his glory. How do you think these people were being added to the church? The church was witnessing to them what the Lord had done in their lives and what the Lord had done on the cross. They were being witnesses filled by the Spirit. We see more evidence of this as we go to Acts 3, where the Holy Spirit heals a man through Peter, giving Peter a platform to proclaim the gospel to a bunch of people. And from that platform that the Holy Spirit gave Peter, 5,000 men are saved. They counted men back in the day, which probably means that there was about 10, 12,000 people who actually gave their lives to Christ that day because the Spirit emboldened Peter to share the gospel and gave him the platform to do so. We see in Acts 4, captured by the high priest after this, Peter and John are threatened, saying, the high priest essentially said, we're going to kill you if you keep talking about Jesus. And then empowered and given boldness by the Spirit, this is how Peter and John respond. In Acts 4, 19 through 20, Peter and John say this, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. 
We cannot help but be witnesses because we are empowered by the Holy Spirit and because this is something that God has commanded us to do. So if you want us to disobey God, that's your problem, but we're going to do what God's told us to do. And then we continue on, that the Holy Spirit gives them more boldness so that they can continue to share the gospel and be witnesses to all people and bring the exaltation and the worship of God to all nations. Acts 5, as they preached and shared the gospel boldly, the Lord saved more people than ever before, and the Holy Spirit was giving them power to do miracles. We see Acts 5, 14 through 15, it says, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. There you are, ladies. So that they carried out a stick, or I'm sorry, so that they carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. That as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Acts 6, we continue on, that we know that there were so many people filled by the Spirit, so many new believers, that the church appointed deacons to serve and meet the physical needs of the church and the physical needs of those around them. In Acts 7, we see that it is still a burden for deacons to be witnesses of the gospel. There's a deacon named Stephen who, filled by the Spirit, preaches the gospel to a hostile crowd. This hostile crowd, being hostile, stones him to death. They throw rocks at him so many times that he dies. From that stoning to death, we see that the gospel spreads all the more. Because the Holy Spirit works through persecution and non-persecution. As there is nothing that can happen that can taint the mission and the glory of God. Which is to bring his exaltation and enjoyment to all people in all nations. We see in Acts 8... Luke narrating what happens after the execution of Stephen. It says in Acts 8, 1 1 through 3, And Saul approved of his execution. Saul approving of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entered house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. We see that because of Stephen's persecution, the church scattered. You would think that if someone, one of your deacons was killed, that everyone would stop sharing the gospel, right? Like imagine if Jim King was over somewhere preaching the gospel, and because he was preaching the gospel, a bunch of people walked up and shot him to death. You would think that the church would stop sharing the gospel after that, right? Like we would, hey, we can't go over there to that neighborhood because they shoot Christians. But instead what happens, the church says, you know what? We can't be in the same spot anymore because they're hunting us. Let's go everywhere else and share the gospel more. So that's what is exactly what happens. They scatter and they share the gospel more. And another man named Philip goes to Sumerians and preaches the gospel to Sumerians and they come to faith. I think it's Samaritans, preaches the gospel to Samaritans in Samaria, and they all come to faith. This proves a global church is what God had planned and intended for his people. Remember in Acts 1-8, he promises that they will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea. Check. Philip goes to Samarians. Check. And then the next one is the ends of the earth. So we see that the ultimate purpose of God then is to bring people from all nations to enjoy and exalt him in all of his glory. Acts 9, the Holy Spirit converted Saul. Yes, Saul, the man ravaging the church and dragging men and women out into the streets and then into prison. The Holy Spirit, or Jesus, shows up to him, pretty much makes him blind. And through a couple other circumstances, Saul gives his life to Christ. And then as Acts 9.20 says, after Saul gets kind of 
unblinded and he eats some food. It says that immediately Saul, filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaimed the gospel to the synagogues of the Jews. And so Saul, the one who is ravaging the church with all of his friends, gets converted, knowing that all of his friends are killing and ravaging Christians. He goes to them, pretty much stands in their church service, and tells them stuff that they would say is heresy. Boldness? Yes. His boldness? No. Given to him by the Spirit. That is how Paul was able to boldly preach to the Jews. We see in Acts 10, the Holy Spirit sends Peter to Gentiles so that they could hear the gospel and receive the Holy Spirit. This is good news for us. Unless you are Jewish, you are a Gentile. And we receive the gospel because the Lord intended us to and sent Peter to share the gospel with him. That's really cool. This proves a global church that the purpose of God is to bring exaltation to himself in all nations and in all people through spirit-filled people. Us. We see in Acts 11 that the Holy Spirit uses persecution again to save multiple people in Antioch. We see Acts 11, 9 through 19 through 22 says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. In other words, the Holy Spirit was in them. And a great number of who believed turned to the Lord. So we see that now there's a church in Antioch, which is north of Jerusalem, full of believers, people who are filled with the Spirit. Acts 12, the Holy Spirit frees Peter from prison so that he can carry the gospel message to all people. And then in Acts 13, we see that the church of Antioch is um, commissioned by the Holy Spirit to send Paul and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas at the time, to places where the gospel is not. So we see in Acts 13, 1 through 3, it says this. Now there were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work in which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Paul and Barnabas commanded to go by the Holy Spirit, went off. Then the rest of Acts 13 and the rest of Acts 14, which is the chapter we have today. We're closing in on it, guys. The rest of Acts 13 and the rest of Acts 14 is, goes from focusing on the whole church to focusing on Paul and Barnabas and their missionary journey. So, where did they go? What did they do? Paul and Barnabas went to Cyprus, which is about, it's an island west of Antioch. So they sailed to Cyprus, preaching the gospel in the synagogues and preaching the gospel to the people there. The proconsul, which is essentially like the governor of the region, invites Paul and Barnabas into their home because he's curious about their message. From that point, the proconsul, the ruler of the area, converts to Christianity along with his entire family. Meaning that now the whole area is led by a man filled by the Holy Spirit, whose now purpose in life is to bring the exaltation and worship of God to all people in all nations. The Lord puts friends in powerful places so that his glory may be known. Then they continue on. They, tr- they sail north, eventually getting to Pisidian Antioch. Not the Antioch that sent them, but a different Antioch. And it took me a little bit to understand that because they're both named Antioch. There's a different Antioch. But they went there. And guess what they did there? They preached the gospel in the synagogues to all the people. And as they began preaching, many people received the gospel and received the Holy Spirit. Um, 
and urge them to continue on following them in order to learn more. We see in Acts 13, 48-49, it says this, And when the Gentiles heard this, being the message of the gospel, being what God has been doing and what God has done, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as, as many were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. We see that because Paul and Barnabas were sharing the gospel with Gentiles there in Pisidian Antioch, the whole region started hearing about what the gospel, or I'm sorry, hearing about what the Lord was doing because the people filled with the Spirit were being witnesses, telling others about what God had done and what he was doing. So it isn't just those people sent specifically by the Holy Spirit saying, set aside for me, Shane and Josie. It's like, no, every single person is meant to go be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the purpose for all believers. Then they left Pisidian Antioch. They went to Iconium, where they preached there. And then they went to Lystra, where they healed a man. And then in Lystra, while they healed a man, a bunch of people were like, yo, Barnabas is Zeus and Paul is Hermes. Let's worship them. And Paul and Barnabas is like, that's horrible. That's heresy and that's bad. They rip their clothes and they say, no, this is not right. This is truly who God is. And from their bold proclamation of the gospel to large crowds, many people come to faith. Also, because of their bold proclamation of the gospel, Jews from Iconium, Pisidian Antioch, and Lystra kind of team up together and they go attack Paul, stoning him to the point where they think they're, he's dead. Now, I have a question. Have any of y'all ever been stoned before? I haven't. I don't know if any of you guys have, but essentially, they're throwing rocks at you really hard until you die. Now, I don't understand how they don't know that Paul is alive, but that gives you a picture of what Paul looked like, that they stoned him so many times that they, like, this is, he's dead, and they dragged him outside of the city. Now, if you were stoned for sharing the gospel, would you continue sharing the gospel? Not sure. But what Paul and Barnabas did next is shocking and can only be explained by the Holy Spirit leading them and giving them boldness to do so. Paul, being stoned almost to death, And Barnabas, get up, travel to Derbe, which is west of Lystra. I'm sorry, east of Lystra. Share the gospel in Derbe. A bunch of people come to the Lord. And then they tell the disciples in Derbe, hey, Paul was almost killed in Lystra. Do y'all guys want to go over there and start sharing the gospel? And then all of these people, filled by the Spirit, emboldened by him, say, that sounds great. So then a bunch of disciples in Derby, along with Paul and Barnabas, go back to Lystra where Paul was stoned and almost killed to share the gospel more. And they end up planting the church of Galatia. Then we get to Acts 14, 24 through 28, which tells their story going home. Now, back to the question that I asked earlier. After looking at all of that church, how spirit-filled people are being used by the Holy Spirit to do amazing things to bring the gospel to those who do not know, do we desire to be used that way? It's a pretty convicting question. Because if you were to ask me, do I desire for the Holy Spirit to actually use me as a tool to bring like all of the nations to enjoy and exalt him in all of his glory? My first answer would be yes, of course. But then we look at my life and my past week. And if that was truly how I wanted to be used by the Spirit, there are things in my life that I would not prioritize. Or there were things that I would do that I would change. Because if I truly wanted to be used by the Lord, my ears would be open and my heart would be ready to be used and to do things I don't want to do or maybe inconvenience me or maybe I don't have time to do or seem very difficult to do. 
It's difficult to go share the gospel as you're being stoned. It is also difficult to live for the Lord, period. And this is what the enemy is attacking us with, is we forget sometimes, or I forget, that the, whole, the enemy is trying to keep us from being used by the Spirit. And it is looking back at the church and looking back at how the Lord has used us and used Spirit-filled people in the past that reminds me that we, in joyful communion with the Lord, are used as tools to bring the gospel to all people. This is a joyful thing and a joyful thing to be reminded of that life is better than just watching TV or life is better than my nine to five job or life is better than the things that the world prioritizes, but life is good as we are in unity with the Lord going after his purpose in life. So I want, we haven't even gotten to the message yet, so I'm not any, by any means done, but I want to pray to ask the Lord to create in us a desire to be used in this way. And that he would end up using us in this way, in the same way that he used the early church, in the same way that he's used Northwest Baptist in the past. And so let me pray real quick. Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that your purpose is to bring your glory among all people. Lord, we know that you have filled us with your spirit to empower us and to embolden us and give us life as we do it. And so, Lord, we pray that we would have a desire to be used that way. Lord, we ask that according to your grace and according to your promises that you would use us in that way. And that Northwest Baptist would be a church filled by your spirit and being used by your spirit every day to impact the community and the nations around us. In Jesus' name, amen. So then finally, we get to the passage, right? Verses 24 through 26 has our first point this morning. Spirit-filled Christians are faithful to do the work the Lord gives them. Spirit-filled Christians are faithful to do the work the Lord gives them. I'll give you time to write that down. So, spirit-filled Christians, faithful to do the work the Lord's give them. Now, you're probably looking at that thinking, Scott, you kept caps lock on and typed out the work in all caps on accident. No, that was on purpose, and we'll talk about that in a second. But let's look at the passage real quick, verses 24 through 27 says this. I'm sorry, verse 24 through 26. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch. Antioch is where they were sent. Where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Now, there is a couple, this describes their way home. Essentially, they went to this city and this city and this city, and then they went home. But there's a phrase in that section of scripture that stands out to me. And whenever I was studying the scripture and actually going to it with Rob, I was like, Rob, what does this mean? And he was like, let's talk about it. And we did for a while. But the phrase is this. They sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. There's two parts to this phrase. There is the commended to the grace of God part. And then there's for the work that they had fulfilled part. So let's talk about the commended to the grace of God part and what that means for our truth this morning is that spirit-filled Christians are faithful to do the work the Lord had fulfilled. So commended to the grace of God. This word commended in the Greek, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's like pardonanami or something like that, but I know what it means. The word means to give over or to entrust to or to give into the hands of or to commit. So they are given over into the hands of the grace of God to do the work that they had fulfilled. Remember in Acts 13, the prophets and the teachers, the church leaders were gathered together and they were praying and the Holy Spirit said, 
give to me Paul and Barnabas, the work I have set them out to do. And then they prayed over them and sent them out. And so we see here, Luke is narrating or recounting how Paul and Barnabas were given to God's grace for the purpose of finishing the work God himself commissioned them to do. Giving over to God's grace is simply a reminder that anytime the Lord shows himself to us, anytime the Lord interacts with us is because of his grace. And that should be something that brings us joy because the Lord is choosing to interact with unworthy beings. And if we are given over to the Lord and he accepts us, it is also by his grace. This could also be something that Luke shows to narrate that they are with the Holy Spirit. The grace of the Lord being given and dwelt inside of them, empowering them to do the work in which they had fulfilled. Bottom line, the Lord is helping them fulfill this work and they were given over to God to fulfill the work. So that brings us to the second one. For the work they had fulfilled. So, knowing God's ultimate purpose for the world, I think it's pretty clear through Acts. If you've gone to our midweek study, um, we've gone through quite a few other scriptures that have shown this same purpose for the Lord. The ultimate purpose of God being to bring people from all nations to enjoy and exalt Him in all of His glory. Knowing that, I'm going to argue that all Spirit-filled Christians have been given the same work that was given to Paul and Barnabas by the Lord. Like I said earlier, not specifically like set aside for me this person, but to go and be witnesses to the rest of the earth, that is the purpose for Christian life. And I mean, we saw that in Acts 1-8, right? It's not for you to know the times of the seasons as the Father has set in place, but you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so it is the purpose for all Christians doing the work, which is to be witnesses of what God has done in the past on the cross and what he's doing in the present now in 2021 and proclaiming that to those who do not know what God has done and what he is doing. This is the purpose of the Christian life. This is the work, is witnessing to all people about what God has done. In Acts There is an uncountable amount of people who left the comfort of their home, left the comfort of their city to witness to those who have never been heard. And the kicker to this whole thing is that many, if not most of those people did not go because the Holy Spirit said, set aside for me, XYZ person. They went because, because, because God had commanded them to do so. Obedience like this to leave comfort and to do things that make our flesh hurt requires deep and utter submission to the Lord and prayer and deep and utter reliance on the Lord. If you think that I have boldness to proclaim the gospel or if I could set aside time in my life out of my work schedule or whatever to go proclaim the gospel and I'm doing that out of my own strength, I have deceived you. Every time I am about to preach the word or I'm about to go share the gospel with people, no matter how many times I've done it, I try to chicken out. Like I try to find a way out. Like, oh, you know, they're talking. So I'm gonna go over here. I'll talk to them next time. The Holy Spirit's the one that empowers us and emboldens us to do this work. The Holy Spirit's the one that changes our hearts completely to not take satisfaction in the world anymore, but only take satisfaction in walking with him in deep utter intimacy as we go out to proclaim the gospel to those who do not know in Oklahoma City, in Oklahoma, in America, and then to the rest of the world. 
It is full reliance in prayer, going on our knees before the throne of God saying, I cannot do this. My heart does not want this. Lord, change me. I know what you have promised. Please help. It is full reliance in trust in faith in Christ that gets us to where the Lord has asked us to be. The phrase, give your life to Jesus in the church culturally has been watered down so much that it took me 20 years or so to realize that I was actually saying, give my life, what I want to do, me, my dreams, my hopes, over to Jesus. I'm taking them and I'm saying, I'm giving these away. These are not mine anymore. But my life is now Jesus Christ's. To give your life to the Lord, to put your faith in Jesus is to say, I am going to rely on you when you ask me to do stuff that I don't think is wise or maybe you you ask me to do stuff that I don't want to or that I might not do otherwise. It is surrender and faith in Christ to do the work that he has set us out to do, which is to witness to all people. It is so much easier for me personally to say that Christian work is serving in the nursery or leading a Sunday school class or serving people at a food drive or a clothing bank or even teaching midweek on a Wednesday morning or telling a stranger like, hey, Jesus loves you. That is not the work the Lord has set us out to do. That is a work, and that is a work that we must do and a work that we need to do. But the work is witnessing to non-believers. A work is something that stirs us to want to do the work, which would be serving in the nursery or teaching a Sunday school class or meeting for community group or telling a non-believer like, hey, Jesus loves you and because he loves you, let me tell you the gospel. A work is not required for believers, but stirs us to do the ultimate work, which is fulfill the ultimate purpose of God, to bring his exaltation and his enjoyment to all nations and all people. This is heavy. And remember, church, that we exist here on this earth, not for ourselves, but because the Lord is using us as a tool empowered by his Holy Spirit to bring people from all nations to enjoy and exalt God in all of his glory. And when we are faithful to the work, point number two follows. Point number two is spirit-filled Christians tell others about what God is doing. This brings us to that spirit-filled remembrance, right? Spirit-filled Christians Tell others about what God is doing. And it's not on the slide there, but I have a little exclamation mark in my notes because this is a really exciting part. And we find this from verse 27 to 28. Verse 27 to 28 says this. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And this is a really good part. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Declaring what God had done redirects our hearts towards the Lord. It grows faith in the Lord and it grows relationships in the body deeply. See, we gather as believers and our first instinct should be to joyfully declare everything that God had done. Oh my gosh, did you see what the Lord did in Dee's life yesterday? Oh my gosh, have you seen the Lord acting in this way? He's emboldened us to do this. Look at how our good God is showing his grace to us and moving around us. Praise be his name. As soon as they arrived in Antioch, Paul, still probably bloodied and bruised and broken because he was stoned, and Barnabas, their first inclination is get the brothers and sisters together. We got a story to tell. We've got to tell them about what the Lord has done. 
This would be as if we're getting back from Utah on a Thursday and then you get a call while you're at like Walmart or something of your community group leader or your friend being like, we're going to the church. The, the people that just got back on mission, like they have a story to tell. They've seen God work. Let's go hear about it. And then we all just, and we get in here and we don't even sing songs. And we're just like, this is what the Holy Spirit did. And then we're like, Whoa! and it's like super hype. It's because it's joyful for the Lord to work and it should stir our affections. I guarantee you that the church, after they heard, you know, the proconsul was saved and Paul was almost killed, but then other believers came to Lystra and then a ton of other people were saved and they're talking about eternities shifting. I guarantee you there was an uproar of praise, worshiping the Lord. Because in Psalm 9, that's what the psalmist says happens when we recount the wonderful deeds of God is we exalt him and we worship him and we bring thanks to him because we are grateful and thankful that the Lord has worked. And I'm sure there are conversations that are stirred by that where other believers, not Paul and Barnabas, are sitting together like, you know, I wonder if we go to the synagogues in this city that they would respond the same way. And oh my gosh, if the Holy Spirit protected Paul after being stoned, why should we fear death? Because the Lord is going to keep us safe. And even if we die, we've seen what happens. The church is spurred on and stirred all the more in our death. The Holy Spirit works regardless of what happens. Why should we be afraid? And it brings boldness to the rest of the church so that the church of Antioch is healthy and continues to do work and continues to send out missionaries. And as we see for the rest of Acts, the church in Antioch plays a very big role in the church and in other people knowing about the Lord. Is it because Paul and Barnabas came back to tell them about what happened? Not specifically, but I know that playing a role in that is them remembering and reminding each other what the Lord has done. And another piece of this is they couldn't help but share the work that the Lord did among them. It's they got back and when they arrived together, they declared all that God had done with them, how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. This is what God promised to do. God promised to empower us with the Spirit so that we could be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. God's promised to vindicate his holy name among those who do not know. God's promised to bring salvation to those people who are currently living in so much sin that many of us would look at them and be like, ah, how could you decide to do that? It's like the Lord's promised to change hearts as we lovingly witness to them of what God has done and what he is doing. And to hear about people talk about this feeds our hearts and should feed our soul as believers. And if you haven't been convinced quite yet, Hebrews commands us in Hebrews 10 to gather together, to stir one another up, to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some. It's a little bit out of order, but it says all that. And as we are meant to gather together and consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, let us consider, church, how we can include spirit-filled remembrance in our own gatherings. Our gatherings on Sunday mornings and our gatherings for our community groups or our gatherings for... Hang on, I lost my spot. I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, our gatherings for our community groups or whenever we go out to lunch with other believers, how can we make that an effective time to stir other people's affections for the Lord? I know for me personally, many times I'll get to my community group or I'll go out to lunch with a lot of my friends who are believers and I will want to tell them what the Lord's doing. And then whenever I get to that point, I'm like, ah, 
I don't really know what the Lord's been doing. And I get stuck. And I'm like, what has God been doing? And in that moment, church, I want to encourage you that we all have that. But the Lord is still working whether we recognize it or not. And if he hasn't been using you, then confess that to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Say, hey, you know what? Like, I don't know what the Lord has been doing in my own life this past week. I haven't really been walking with him or I haven't seen him work. And so let's pray that the Lord would continually do that and seek and confide in your brothers and sisters in Christ. Being vulnerable, telling them about what's going on and why it's hard for you to hear from the Lord or see what the Lord is doing. And then pray, go before the Father, ask him to do what he has promised and trust him to work that in you. And that's how the Lord's going to work in our community. Like, when we are in community and when we are close and abiding with one another, we are stirred in prayer and in community to be with him. And when we are abiding with him and when we are walking with him, he keeps us from sin and he keeps us working for his purpose. These are promises from Christ that he will continually stir us as we remember what he is doing and what he has done. So speak about what he is doing and what he has done. And if you don't see it, confess it and walk with the Lord in that. Can you imagine what our church would look like if we all were being faithful to complete the work that he has laid out before us? That we would tell each other about the work that he was doing. Like, oh my gosh, you should have seen it. At Walmart, I was just walking and buying some pickles and then this random person was standing next to me and the Holy Spirit told me to talk to him, so I did. And he broke down in tears as I was able to share the gospel with him. Or different stories, just random instances like that. Or we went out to go share the gospel at a park last week and none of us really spoke Spanish. But we were able to have some really good conversations with some people who needed to hear it. And some really good conversations with people who did not know. I got to talk to a a friend of mine through what little Spanish I knew in Google Translate. And we were able to talk about the gospel and how there's true life in Jesus. And growing up in the Catholic Church, he had never heard these things before. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would continually work in that so that we would worship with that brother in eternity. The Lord works when we walk in obedience with him. And can you imagine what it would do to our church if we desired to walk in this way. And we reminded each other what it was like to walk in this way. Like, what effect would that have on our community groups when we gathered here on Sunday morning or out during the week? Like, would we just gather together to talk about the scriptures and be like, you know, I really liked when it said they remain no little time with the disciples. That's really interesting. All right, let's go to service. Or would it be like, they remained no little time. They desired to be with one another because it was joyful what the Lord was doing and the hearts were stirred by one another so they were able to go be back out. Let's do that. And it would bring life and joy to our community groups as we talk about what God has done. Can you imagine what it would look like and what effect it would have on our individual prayer life and our corporate prayer life if we were living to do the work the Lord had set us out to do? What effect would that have? We would change our prayers completely if we would be looking at what God had been doing. It'd be amazing the types of desires and prayers that we would have. As I've prayed with some brothers and sisters in this room who have been doing the work that the Lord has laid out for them and have been yearning for people to come to faith. And there are weeping and tears as the people that they love who are going to hell for eternity as they are praying and asking the Lord to do what they have seen him do so many times. 
It changes the way that we pray with one another and it changes the way that we pray individually. Can you imagine what effect it would have if we were living, doing the work that the Lord has led us out to do and reminding each other of what God had done and what he was doing? Can you imagine what effect that would have on our community at large? What effect that would have on Oklahoma City? There are 422,000 people in this city who have not believed in Christ. 422,000 people going to hell that you see on a day-to-day basis. Can you imagine what effect it would have if we lived as though we thought Jesus was coming back tomorrow? Would you share the gospel with that cashier that you're going to meet for lunch today? Yes. Would you share the gospel with those people that you walk past in Walmart? Probably. It would change the ev- every way that we live. Now, truthfully, guys, I'm scared and for myself when I think about things like that. Like, oh, that's so weird to share the gospel with a cashier. They just want me to leave. It's like, But when we think about the urgency of the gospel and we think about how Jesus has promised to work when we witness to the world, there's hardly any other option. And so to confess to you guys, I need boldness in the spirit to do that. I don't want to share the gospel with the cashier, but I want to pray for the Lord to give me the desire to do so. And he will because he's promised. And can you imagine what effect and impact on the nations at large it would have if we lived for the work, the work the Lord has set us out to do. There are three billion people on this planet that have never met a Christian before. That means if every single Christian, every single spirit-filled believer, if they shared the gospel with everybody that they knew now, there would still be three billion people on the planet going to hell. When, it, when we put it kind of like that, it's like, why are we, what are we doing? Like, let's go to those people. Let's witness to them. Can you imagine what type of effect it would have on the global scale if we live for the work that he's laid us out to do, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth? There's a coffee shop called the ends of the earth. Not talking about the coffee shop. Talking about the actual ends of the earth. Like church, the Lord wants to do a work in and through us. And as I asked before at the beginning, Do we desire for him to do so? And will we allow him to send us out? Remember, the Lord works and it is good and brings joy. He will do it and we will speak about it and witness about it and then he'll keep doing it. The Lord wants to work in and through us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful that we can cling to your promises. Lord, we are humbled that you would decide to work through uh, such unworthy beings, but we are grateful and thankful that you would send your Holy Spirit inside of us to fill us and to empower us to do the work that you have promised to do. Lord, I pray that we would be empowered by the Spirit to boldly proclaim the gospel to all of those who need to hear it. The Lord, you would get us, get me out of my head and keep me from making excuses that we would be able to proclaim the gospel and witness and encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ as we gather and remember all that you are doing and all that you have done. Lord, be faithful to fulfill your promises here so that we may encourage each other and you may be glorified. Ask these things in your name. Amen. There's going to be pastors at the front if you want to pray. Love you, church. Thank you so much.